If you are a scout or coach looking to find or help players, then Pitch is the website for you. It's a startup, but the idea is to complement the scout's role in finding talent, especially in lower leagues. Pitch is likely to arrange trial days in the future, so a scout might be very interested to make a profile. For a coach, it's about the onward development and mental health of released players, helping them find a team or club and provide a talent ID and development reference on Pitch. So make a profile today at www.pitchrmt.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Coffee Club podcast. I hope everyone is safe and well. Um, Today's episode, another good one. Really, really enjoyed chatting this time to Keith and David Mayer, father and son, uh, authors, coaches. um, And we discussed everything today around becoming an effective coach. Their book, Gold Dust, How to Become a More Effective Coach Quickly, is a number one bestseller. We discussed how the book came about. We discussed all of the aspects within the book which touched upon how we can be more effective coaches. Um, We didn't discuss X's and O's, which will become evident in the conversation, but we spoke around language. We talked about questioning. We talked around planning sessions and how we can build relationships with our players. So really, really insightful. I know you're going to like it. Enjoy. Please do subscribe and share the episode. It helps the podcast grow. Um, If you have any time to give us a, a rating on iTunes or wherever you get it from, that's much, much appreciated. So here we are, our conversation with Keith and David Mayer. Okay, so I must say good morning and good afternoon to David and Keith Mayer. Uh, really pleased to have these two gentlemen join me. So thank you, gents. Thank you, Lee. Thank you very much for having us. Um, so Coaches Coffee Club, uh, what we do, we, we get ran, uh, a random selection of topics uh, on my notes to discuss. But today we could and will probably go anywhere with these two gentlemen who have got a great deal of experience and knowledge. So I'm really excited for this chat. Um, before we get on to our bulk of our topic, but would you guys be so kind as to explain to any of our listeners who are who are not too familiar with who you guys are, um, how you know each other, um, <laughs> what what's brought you guys to where we are now, and then we can start to dig a little deeper into what I know is going to be a really interesting topic today. So over to you, gents. Go on, David. So thank you, Lee. Appreciate you having us on. So I'll be as quick as possible with this. Um, it's funny, my mine and my dad's story and journey is pretty much the same. So there's 30 odd years between us, but I've followed a very similar path to him. Um, I'm an ex-player. I played in a few different countries, didn't make any money, got injured very early, 25. Um, had had hip surgery and was done. I've never played since. I was lucky that during the time while I was playing, I was also coaching. Very fortunate growing up to spend a lot of time around around my dad and the people that he worked with, which I'm sure he'll touch on. Um, Dick Bate being one of them that he'll mention quite fondly in this, this interview. But my dad spent time around a lot of these people and I was with him as much as possible when I was growing up and learning, just spending time together and... I took a lot from that. 
So even at a young age, I was coaching and and I'd, I guess, had a, had a head start in regards to what I'd already experienced and seen now that I obviously have to go and apply that. But um, I was doing my, I'd just finished my UEFA B license actually when I'd had the hip surgery. So was already on the path to, to full-time coaching, so you would say. Um, when I was able to coach again after the surgery, went in and pretty much since then I've been three and three and a three and a half years of full-time coaching now. Um, I'm now based in the US. I got offered a role over here in 2018. So I was going backwards and forwards for a little bit. And then in November 2019, I've been based full-time in Utah. Um, I've also, the, the club that I work for, we're also based in Tanzania and in the UK. So there's a, a wide variety of cultures. There's a wide variety of people. There's a, a wide variety of children and upbringings that you get to come across. Um, so that, that's, a, I guess, a shortened version of where I am and and obviously there's a lot more to go there's a lot more to learn and there's a lot more on the journey yet that's quite impressive that Lee I think I'll I'll just say so I think everybody can tell like it's we're not brothers uh <laughs> David David he failed to forget to, to mention as he's currently going through his air license as well so yeah I have 37 years of coaching and uh that's taken me you know, to quite a few countries around the world. I have coached at Leeds United when they were Centre of Excellences. I coached at Nottingham Forest when they became an academy, initially a Centre of Excellence, then academy, and then got offered uh, full-time uh, coaching roles there, which I declined uh, because of one, money wasn't very good at the first uh, the first uh, point of asking. The second time, my mum wasn't very well. She was passing and struggling with health. And then... Uh, Coach education, so I'm an affiliate tutor for the FA, and I've done that for many, many years, and dovetailed that whilst I was working down at Nottingham Forest, a little bit at Leeds United as well, and then uh, most recently, I've spent the last five years working at, I'm very fortunate to be spending my time with uh, Liverpool Academy as on a part-time basis as well, so I've coached uh, across in South Korea, David mentioned some of the the influences in my life. Uh, Dick Bear, as he mentioned, and I've been very fortunate to spend a lot of time with him and around him, and feel extremely privileged to to be sharing some of the stories that uh, that that he would have embraced if he was still around. Uh, delivered the pro license course over in South Korea with Dick. Uh, in 2016, 17, and yeah, so lots of experiences, but they are only that. I think it's the application of where you use those experiences, which is the most important part. No, fantastic. I um, <clears throat> lo- loads that we could we could dive into there, but what I guess before we start talking about other things. David, as you, you mentioned there about the influence your dad had on you as, as sort of going into coaching, did you notice this or recognise this as you were growing up or did you just take that as as a given um, or is it now something you realise now that you're, you're going through coaching, you know that he was such a big influence on you and the likes of 
dick and people like that that, that, that your dad was around how how has that impacted you oh, massive massive impact I think at the time it was more so just spending time with my dad so I was playing in the in the academy system and my dad was he was coaching at Forest at the time and obviously from from where we live that's a it's a two-hour drive so whenever I wasn't playing I would be going with my dad so I have good memories of going down there and I know my dad has a lot of close friends that are still heavily involved in the game they were at Forest at the time that I I know well now because of that too um, but I think I was watching people deliver especially my dad watching and learning and I don't think I realized it at the time it was only when people started telling me that I was like my dad when I was coaching that it, it came to fruition that I went, you know what, this is, it, it makes sense. Um, the, the, the last one, there was um, actually a, a couple of coaches that my dad works with at the academy and they were over in the States, were at the club. We, we brought them over to the club to, to watch and observe and do a bit of mentoring and I was delivering and they said, I, I can't, it's like watching. I feel like I'm watching Keith again. I feel like I'm back in Liverpool watching Keith. So it's quite funny that people well, say we're very sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's, there are, there are definitely similarities. I think there are also differences as well, um, but it's had a, a huge impact on the way I deliver and the way I, get my messages across to people oh, i love that so keith what you hear david talk about the influence you had on him how how important of people or other coaches that you spent time with how big of an importance have they played on you in terms of the influence they had um and 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 then i guess the way you're now having an influence on david who who was that to you and and what was it about them that that you looked up to do you know, Lee, I don't think you know at the time. I don't think you actually know what's taking place at the time. It's only when, you know, you're in your own moments of silence, struggling on the deck, coaching and thinking, why is it so difficult when I've been watching, you know, the likes of Dick Bates and I, I, I was fortunate to watch Don Howe, uh, who was at Arsenal at the time, Gary Grady and some many, many others. So the accumulation of all the experiences and the knowledge that they were sharing in with with themselves at that point was was part and it stocked up as a file and then it's only when you go out and apply it lee then you, you start to think well you know where is that oh I, I, I remember that one now and it just it just floods through it doesn't it's just organic it happens and then all of a sudden you start you start to to take shape your character, you, that starts to take shape of who you actually are as a coach. And then, you know, we as long as you you, you are your authentic self, then I think it, it will probably just, whoever's around you at that time will pick up. So the likes of David, and I implore him, and he knows it, you know, I don't want him to be like me, and he isn't, he's his own man. But, it, you know, you pick up those mannerisms, you pick up those little nuances, you pick up the saying, you, you pick up the, the same actions. I think ultimately what we want, you know, for what I want for David, and I think he already is, he's on that track, is to be a good organiser, to be 
uh, very, well, it was a loyal, but extremely punctual and hard working. And if you're honest and you have that integrity around you, it'll flood through. People will sense it. They actually sent, so we can say what we say, but what, what they do, the players and coaches, they, they actually feel the words. They feel what we're saying. And if that comes through that general, that generosity of your time and the energy that you project, it hits them. And it smacks you straight through the eyes. So this, you know, we allude to, you know, an energy that players and coaches should emit. Well, you want coaches, if you want players to be energetic, then it's got to come through somewhere else. It doesn't start with the players. It's got to, it's got to come through what we do and, and how we go about doing it. Yeah, brilliant. So, so we touched a little bit, starting to dig into what what coaches are and inspirations and coaches that you you've looked up to. But obviously, you you both teamed up to to write a book um, around effective coaching, which which I really really enjoyed reading, and I can't wait to discuss it. But what what brought that about? What was the what was the motivational reason behind getting your thoughts and feelings onto paper. I started writing the book 16, nearly 16 years ago, and I couldn't get past the first chapter. It took me a month to actually write a sentence, and it was, it was just to justify to myself why we're doing that. And then in May of last year, 18th of May in actual fact, we're travelling back from London. David and I have been on a course, a business course. Uh, David's heading back to the States. I'm heading to uh, the sunny Northwest. And I rang him up. I, I said, I'm going to write a book. And uh, anyway, straight away, he said, I'm going to help you. And then that was it. But it was a matter of this accumulation of all the knowledge and experiences, the contact base of which uh, you know, I'm fortunate to have like we all have. But it was just a matter of tapping into that, but getting it out. So I didn't want to die. Still don't want to die early, but I don't don't want. I didn't want to die with the book still in my head. It's had to come out in the for in in some sort of in the shape or or another. And and since it came out, it it came out the twenty seventh of November of last year. Uh, Golders now to become a more effective coach quickly, and on the uh, two days afterwards, the 29th of November, it it's. It's been a number one bestseller, and I checked this morning. It's still a number one bestseller. So it was. It was more of, you know, I've got. We've got some thoughts, got some ideas, got something that might be different. Didn't really know, to be honestly, whether it was different or otherwise. It just needed dumping out a piece of paper. And fortunately, and I'm not being humble about it. If it wasn't for David, the book would still be in my head. I'd still be going through the first chapter. So I'm blessed. I'm very fortunate that I've got a son like I've got who who learns at an exponential rate and he's extremely intelligent and applies the, he applies the information, puts it down on, on, in, uh, into, into a legible format and, and here we go. This is where we're at the moment. It's, it's an exciting journey. Oh, brilliant. So <clears throat> I've read it and, uh, and forgive me if, if this comes across the wrong way, there's not much in there about the X's and O's, which I found fascinating. Uh, so tell me tell me a little bit about that effective coaching a lot of the book talks about everything which is not tactics formations and strategies so so give us a little insight into into the, the sort of importance and the thoughts around some of the bits you included in the book mm. so 
like you mentioned, Lee, there's it's not an X's and O's book. There's nothing in there about technique, tactics, or anything along those lines in any sport. And while they're important, I think the higher up you go on the ladder, the more you have to know. Because if we look at, at Premier League managers, if they've not got their X's and O's right, the players will bomb them off anyway. But I don't think, and we, we between us, it's not the most important thing anyway. The most important thing is the relationships and the connections and how you build those relationships with the people you're working with because you could you could have all the knowledge in the world from a tactical standpoint or a technical standpoint, but if people don't like you and they can't relate to you, then all you've got is your opinion. And people are, if, if, if they do not like you, they're more likely to critically analyze what it is you're saying. Um, whereas if people have a, a relationship and a connection with you, it's not to say that they're always going to agree with you, but they're less likely to critically analyze what it is you say and what it is you do. And the book itself goes through lots of different steps and processes around how you can build these relationships and ultimately how you can get more out of your athletes, how you can make them feel good about what it is they do. And there's a, a, a little quote in there, when they, when they feel better, they generally perform better. And that's what it's about. I know there's, there's different ages. You can, if you're working at first team level, you need to win. So when people feel better about what it is they do, they perform better and you're more likely to get your wins. But at, at younger ages... Uh, if we look at the academy system, it's not about winning. Winning is always going to be important. We'll never run away from that. But a win is a performance. And if we can drop in nuggets of information to, pe to people and to players that help them perform better, then that's a win. Has, has, has that been your thought process or your opinions since you've always been coaching around effective coaching being more towards the building relationships and the sort of teaching mm -hmm. and development aspect or is was there a moment where you kind of had to check yourself and realize or maybe maybe this effective mm. coaching is not about results what how did that come about for you both I think, I mean, my over my many years, I think it's only most recently I've started to actually start to think of how many times or how many opportunities I've missed to actually uh, to help. I'm not going to. There's not been any intention to do any damage. By the way, I think it's just where we're at. So, if I just speak for myself, then. You know, I knew everything in my, I passed my air license. I was one of the youngest in the country back in 1985 to pass, it wasn't the air license and it was called the full badge, but I failed it in 84 and passed in 85. And then it got converted to the UA for air license. In that, in that uh, length of period, in that length of time of, so 84, I started coaching a little earlier than that, but, it, but from from when I first started to, I'm going to say up to about 10, maybe 15 years ago, uh, you wouldn't get my ego in the place. I just had an immense ego and it shut things down. It shut many opportunities down for me to to possibly learn because I wasn't a good listener. And and then you have a, an epiphany, you have a wake-up call. And it wasn't football that I actually did it. It was, I was on a, a business course and... 
it actually helped change my life to, well, listen, you don't actually know these things. You've got to start to listen and be more curious. And it was the, the futurist Alvin Toffler who, who once said that the illiterate of the 21st century will, will not be those who, who, who cannot read and write. It'd be those who cannot learn, unlearn and relearn. So that then opened up the, you know, the, the immense possibility of I need personally to be more curious around how we actually connect with people, how we connect with players, how we connect with the peers and the friends and the family. And, and then you, you, you start to learn. You've got to, or it did do for me. So there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, uh, a blue touch paper moment where I had to either carry on doing what I'm doing and be quiet, uh, be quite uh, not aggressive. But I, I don't particularly think I've ever been an aggressive type of coach, but started to open up to want to know and to learn. And the thing, the, the thing about it now is the more and more I think, you know, the more and more I find out that I don't. So it just takes you more and more down the rabbit, rabbit only. And then, you know, the, the way people are treated has always resonated with me. It's just that I wasn't very good at doing that. And I don't profess to be an expert in the area now. I, I am more aware of the impact that we can have and the influences that we, we do have on, on, on every single interaction that we, we have, either with family, with the players, with the families, you know, or you, you're, with, you're with your fellow coaches. And... You know, most of these things are either done at an unconscious level where folk are very, very good, where you get some who are exceptionally good at it, and you get others like myself who have to learn it. It's a learned skill. It's just the it's just knowing the importance of it, on what it has on helping players to learn, to relax, to actually, as David mentioned, winning at academy level is winning the most important thing. Well, winning is important. I think the most important thing is the competing. And what we've got to do is bring lads on board to be able to, to compete and for them to come and work for you, work with you. I think I'd like the word with rather than for, is we've got to bend a little bit. We've got to adjust a little bit. And not yet not the players adjust to us all the time. So that you know that learning, unlearning and relearning but having a deep desire to be curious around every single player that we have in front of us has got to be uppermost. Do yeah. you do you think that coaches, with all good intention, I think one of the things you said there, Keith, around when you were, <clears throat> how you, your previous self, everything was with good intent and there's not many coaches out there that do anything without good intent, do they? But do you think coaches or especially up up and coming or young coaches or newly qualified coaches do you think we focus too much on x's and o's and maybe if we started to think around some of the aspects you guys touch on that might unlock a lot more potential in our players in us as coaches and and as you call you but make us more effective rather than worrying about what session i might do what where the cones will go, what what the tactics are. What do you, do you think? That's a, a, a sort of common um, problem, not necessarily a problem, but something that that's that's maybe done wrong currently. Mm. I I do, Lee, and 
like I said, I was fortunate growing up around my dad where I saw the way he dealt with people and dealt with players. And even in my playing career, I had experiences as a player where I didn't feel good about playing. I, I didn't want to be at training. And I didn't want to subject my players to that. And I think you can learn from, we've touched on, people generally learn when they feel good about something, but they can also learn from negative experiences of what they don't want things to be like. And I learned from negative experiences about what I don't want to become and what I want to provide for my players. Now, I think when I started off really coaching, I was more concerned about the X's and O's but because of because of what I'd been around and what I'd grown up with, that how I make people feel and the way that I treat them was still at the forefront. Now, Twitter, social media, it's a great place. It really is. It, it, you get a lot of good content on there. Um, but for up-and-coming coaches, you need to have an understanding and, and, have, and develop an understanding of how to work with people. Because that is what coaching is. You're actually teaching people. And you can look at all the nice fancy sessions in the world. But if if I give if we get a session now, Lee, and I, I give the same session to my dad, I give the same session to you, I'd have the same session and we give the same session to somebody else, it's gonna look different. Every time that it's delivered, it'll look different, and your session is gonna look different to mine. And that will run true through every coach that actually delivers the same session, so to speak. But the thing that is is very important is, and I, I don't know how many times I've delivered a session where it's actually gone straight as to plan, where I've had to adapt and adjust it. And pretty much every time I've had a session, I've had to adapt and adjust slightly, but it's more so reading the cues from the players and, dealing with them and, and getting an understanding from them of whether it's working or not. And X's and O's, like I've said, they're important. I'll never run away from that either. I think you have to have an understanding of the game. And in the book, we, we say players want, most players, they want three things. They want to know that you care for them. They want to know that they can learn from you. And they want to know that they can trust you. The the other thing which you know David mentioned there, Lee, the, it all depends on where the coaches are. I think that's important to, to have a perspective of where they are, how long they've been coaching, and who they have around them. But we, we are people, persons. You know, we're in a we're in a when we're delivering sessions, is actually actually understanding why and who we're doing the sessions for. If you if you're doing it for your ego, then you'll find that that. It probably might alienate, might, didn't necessarily mean it will, but it might alienate. So it all depends on where the coaches are. There is definitely a place, and even though we, we've not we've not mentioned it in the book, you know, specifically about X's and O's, there is a place. What we have is that uh, the, the umbrella behind, even, you know, when you're doing the X's and O's, is how you connect. And how we can, and the, the, there are little processes within the book, little methods that can help, uh, you know, our budding coaches. We, we've actually utilised and featured 12 other field experts, the likes of Steve Iway, the Liverpool legend, 
Darren Moore, who is an absolute, absolute, what a superman he is. We got Gareth Owens from Nottingham Forest. We got Ryan May, who's also featured, and equally we got people who who are not football specific. We got a guy called Justin Albrook, who's the uh, the most winningest uh, rugby league coach in, in Centellin's rugby league history, and uh, and then we have a, a two-time world champion, martial artist, and. And across every single one of them, the same questions were posed. What's the first thing you do when you meet your athlete for the first time, either when you physically meet them for the first time or when they're actually coming in to the facility? And it's that first engagement. So X's and O's, great, definitely. It all depends on where the coaches are in the learning cycle. And uppermost in all of that, it's having the umbrella and the FA courses, which I, I deliver them, I think at times we scuff around, you know, what these real interactions are. We talk about communication, but I don't think we go into any depth with it. It's it's a very it's a very fluid and fluent and it's organic in nature and every single interaction is bespoke because you then read in somebody's body language, it's perception, because they're folding their eye, all that type of stuff. So it's very complex. There's no doubt but what we've aimed to do is the second book that we've got coming out will be more of an X's and O's book. It'll be more specific. But this particular book has just opened up a, it's opened up such so many opportunities for us to do what we're doing today, and that's to share uh, what's with inside the book, inside our head, because you know all, all people are going to be reading is somebody's lies, or they're going to believe it, they're going to believe somebody's truths. It all depends on which side of the you know the fence you want to see and. Certainly, from the from the book coming out, it's it's done very well. It's it's still a number one bestseller, uh, and it's done quite well in other countries as well. So it's doing something, and I think it might be filling the gap of what that you know where where the where the football and other sports might be requiring at the moment. So long it may continue. Uh, fantastic. So just going back a little bit on. <clears throat> As you said, the X's and O's and the content of what coaches deliver is is important. Of course, we need to we need to be doing something with our players. But I'm really interested to to hear around what your planning might look like um, ahead of a session in order to be effective. Because, like you said, David, you said around we can all go on online and find thousands, millions of sessions. But it's then, I guess, how we then bring them to life and the interactions that happen. So, so what? If I could ask you, what what should or does your planning look like in order mm-hmm. to to be effective, and and maybe where could coaches place their emphasis on planning ahead of a session to to be effective, and not just where do I put the cones? Is it five v four or that kind of stuff? So, can you give us a, a little insight into some of your planning? I can. It's a great question too. So, we talk about and aim to focus on the process over the content. So the content's what you want to have. It's, um, that would be the planning and, and what goes into the session. So I spend time on that. So I might set up, um, let's say just for example, I have a rondo that goes into a possession that goes into a, a full-sided game with the emphasis of receiving on the back foot. Let's just, go real simple with it. Now I can go through the session and plan it and just run the session as is. 
But for me, I'm, I focus on the process of what I can do to help the athletes learn and improve. So we can all put a, a nice session on. We can all put a fancy session on. But I think it's the steps and the, steer, the series of, of actions and steps within the session in order to get to the end goal. So if my end goal is by the end of this session, I want my players to have a, a better understanding of where and why they would receive on the back foot, there are steps within the session that I need to touch on. And if if a player isn't quite grasping it, I then have the responsibility. And this is obviously where there's a an X's and O's and an understanding of the game has to come in, where I would jump in and, and look to correct it. Now, we see it, I, I actually saw it this week with... Um, a group of with with a group of players and a, a coach was working on a session and the players were misplacing passes consistently. Now they know they've misplaced a pass. Players know if they've if they've give the ball away they know it, and I can tell them they've done it and amplify it and make it worse, or I can look at the reasons behind it. So these kids are giving the ball away, and the coach kept saying, "Come on, you're giving the ball away." You've got to get your passing better. Well, they, I think they know that. I, I was looking from a distance and I know that too. So for me at that point, I actually went over and spoke to the coach. And I think the first thing, the first and foremost thing is that things are done with a purpose. So in order to correct, it has to be done with a purpose and at a pace that is then you're able, that you're then able to correct at. Because if it's done very sloppy... You don't really know why it's being misplaced other than because it's sloppy. So I think the first and foremost is that there's a purpose behind everything that you do as a coach and everything that the players do. So every movement, every pass, every shot, every tackle is done at pace and with a purpose. Now, at that point, if it's done at a, at a purpose and the players are still not getting it and they're still misplacing the passes, well, that's now my job to go in and, and find out why. Is it because of it might be a lack of technique. Now, if the technical ability is not there, I then have a job to go in and, and help them and see if I can add a, little, a few nuggets that can help them get a little bit better with that. It may be because of athleticism. It may be because they haven't got the strength in their legs to knock a ball 30 yards yet. And that's something I then have to adjust and adapt. Or it could be a decision-making process where... They can pass a ball 10 yards without a defender, but we put the defender in and the decisions are then are then causing them to misplace the pass. So I think that's the, the, the process is a, we can put the session on and just run a session. But at that point, we're not coaching the players and the process is the actions and steps in order it, that we take in order to, to coach and to teach the players to help them improve and learn throughout the sessions. So I do plan... I make sure I'm planned for for the sessions that I deliver and I want to get the end goal out of it. Now, I may adjust and adapt the session as it's going in order to fit the needs of the players and in order for them to learn and improve. And would you, on your plan, would you give um, time or, or focus on things like the questions you would use or the words or the sentences you would use of specific players. It's kind mm -hmm. of a lot of the stuff you talk about in the book around that relationship and knowing the individual. Are they the kind of things that you 
focus your time and energy on when planning and do you write them on your session plan or, or does, is that something you've just become skilled at and it, it comes naturally i'm i'm really keen to find out how if 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 some coaches grassroots or academy coaches now want to be more effective but they only have 30 minutes to plan should yeah. they use 28 minutes on the session and, and two minutes on or well, i might use this intervention or or could that be flipped what are you what are your yeah. thoughts on that <laughs> really good question again <laughs> um when i'm planning i don't i don't write those things down i just i might have what my aims and outcomes are um, but from, I guess, some of the experiences that I've gathered over time and the things that I've learned that it's not, and I don't always get it right. There's, I have car crashes just like every coach does. And I also have a lot to learn and I'm, I'm still on that path. But when I'm planning a session, I'll put the session on. I might have a few notes here or there, but in terms of, of the language that I use and the way that I communicate with the players I think that's just been learned over time it's something that again spending time with my dad for 20 plus years of not seeing how he interacts it's something that I've picked up on and then also on numerous courses that I've taken that I I've then gone out into the field and learned from trial and error and I, I I'm learning every day more about the players that I work with and I would also like to think that in that process, I'm now able to make it more enjoyable for them. But with the session, I think, I think every coach is different in the way that they can go about it. Some people, some people may want to put every single note and every single um, thing that they want to say down on the session. But I, I also think that it's important to have a little bit of room for movement in the session because you never know what's going to happen you may plan a, a session and you have you've planned it for 12 well, what do you do when 11 show up and you have to be this is going it is it's an x's and o's how do you adjust and adapt but what happens if a new player comes into the group unexpectedly and that happened to me the other day where a new player came into the group and i had to blend him into the group in a way that I felt was fit. And this boy, he, he was a super kid. He was very talkative and he kind of just did it himself. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting question. I don't think there's a, a, for me, there's not a definite answer. I think it's, it's all on coach's preference. I don't tend to write everything down that I'm going to do or say in the session, but I do take notes. I have little pointers here or there. Can I just add to this, Lee? The I think if you write questions down, and there's for those that want to do that, do that. What we tend to do is concentrate too much on the question, and whether it actually another big challenge with that is whether it fits and fits into the context. So we're actually asking a question for who? Are we asking it because it's happened in front and there it is, or are we asking the question because we want to learn how to ask questions? I think when we're born, we're, we're you know we're very curious individuals, and we want to we want to be particularly when we're coaching or working or facilitating or coaxing players. There are certain things that can be used and strategies that can be used, which is what you'd alluded to a little earlier. Is what can grassroots coaches grab? What can they take home here? And 
one of them in particular is very simple is when if there's an intervention you, you, you can just I'm asking a player listen I've got some information that's going to help you become an even better player are you interested in finding out what that is and straight away you're going to open up a file in the brain that'll go uh, it's an open question and who's not going to say yes so once you've got that you can then start taking them down into the into the telephone box and getting them into right okay so you've got the yes now you've got to provide him with some information that is definitely relevant for him or uh, right okay what are now would the next time the ball comes in to you i want you to consider whether you can x or whatever and what we're doing, we're, we're just letting them be curious around rather than telling them. So it's, an, it's a learning strategy, isn't it? You know, we got, you can tell them, you can ask them, or, uh, or we can start going around the bushes. And there are times where you need to tell them. The next time the ball comes to you, you must do this. There is a place for that. But if we want to be more player-led, we've got to ask a more open question. I want you to identify the next time the ball comes to you and whether you can take it on your back foot. Simple. But the, the, the one that tees it all up is I've got some information that's going to help you become better. Are you interested? And that one tends to do the trick. because So you're getting a little bit of compliance. You're getting ones that say yes. And when you get players saying yes to you, you've got a chance in. It doesn't mean they're going to apply it. Because asking questions isn't really where the magic lies. The magic lies in asking the question and then watching or listening to the appropriate response. And so, then you follow it from there. It's not just the question. We can. It, it's a chain of actions, uh, but there are certain questions or statements that we would prefer not to be using. And many coaches, can you use your weaker foot? Well, I, I don't. I don't particularly buy into that. It is what it is, but can we rephrase it slightly so it doesn't become a weaker foot because it then becomes embedded. Many, many years ago, people who were left-handed used to have their left hands broken because the, the, the people back then wanted people to write with a right hand. And we learned it. So many of these, many of these skills that we, are, that we use and apply have been taught, and most of them possibly through either watching and observing or be through instruction. And, you know, you said earlier, and you're right, you know, we, I don't think there's any coach out there wanting to do things for a, for, a, for, the, for a not good intention. I just think we need to educate ourselves and how we use specific language that can help players and push them on a little quicker than perhaps how we're doing it at times. Yeah, so, so with that being said then, <clears throat> Keith, how, how important are the words we use? And, well, and is there a way in which coaches can become better at that because sometimes you spoke about using the exact same words but just changing the order or I know you touch on tonality things like that how how important is our language and our wording to become an effective or more effective coach and and other have you got any tips or, or ways that coaches can try and level up on that Mm. Pretty, Look, pretty Lee, you ought sharp. to do this. You ought to do this for a living. Your, your, your questions are quite they're quite piercing. Very good. <laughs> Doing this before. Uh, yeah. So look, the the words we use are not the experience. The words we use are not the experience. It's the meaning we put to the words. 
was to say to you, turn or dog, what we do, we get images in our head. We get an image of a dog. But when we say, I can't, you mustn't, why have you done, and we particularly why, why have you done that? Why have you just had a drink when I've been talking to you? And if, if it's deemed to be a negative, what we do, we then start to take the, 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 the player, the athlete, down into an experience, delving into why, and a negative why. It, it evokes a different experience. It, sorry, it evokes a, a, a chemical reaction, which can either be a negative uh, emotion. So why have you done that? Why did you pass the ball incorrectly? Why did you pass it there? We just lost the goal. Just consider the goal off. Why did you do it? What we do, we get a, a series of images in our head, and then what we'll do, we'll put meanings to those images unconsciously and very, very quickly. And so ultimately, that then drives and evokes these experiences, the emotion, which then changes the way we feel. So we've got to be careful on the language we use, be more particularly mindful of the language we use. I'm not saying put flowers in Marsley at all. Players must be, they must be stood up occasionally and, you know, we, we must never allow the inmates to run the asylum. So it's not being fluffy. It's a matter of being, uh, being educated, learning to find, learning to find language words that will be empowering as opposed to disempowering. Being what's the best productive. way to do that, Keith? Is that just, have you found just trial and error? Because I'm thinking now when I coach, it's very natural to ask questions that start with why, because you, you mm -hmm. want the players to give you answers. And, and sure. now that I'm thinking of it, I think, oh, sometimes that can put people on the back foot. So how would I break my my natural um, my, or my um, preference to use that word? What do I do? OK, uh, well, you know, you're doing it. I've only just realised now. I feel like oh, right. I'm right. Well, that, now you know you're doing it. You've just answered your question. What we do is, so look, let me just clarify that. The word why is you, if you use it positive, you can, you can still use it, and we will use it. I think it all depends on culture, where we're from, where we're upbringing, our friends, our peers, your education. All of those are big factors how we communicate. Massive. Even down to the, even down to an interpretation of a word or, the, or a meaning of a word. But, and I use the word but, uh, when we're asking the word why, if we ask the word why when there's been a negative experience, we're actually, we're actually not going to help ourselves. We're not helping the player because we're going to, they'll find, they'll start trawling, going deeper into why they didn't get it right. And that's not where we want to yeah. take them. We just make it a bigger deal, don't we? We make it a bigger mm -hmm. deal. No. But there's times where we might want to consider it, but in this context, no. What we want to do is change it. We don't want to find out what they've not done right. We want to replace it with something of greater importance for them. And that's where we come in. Right. That's just gone wrong. We know that. Now, this is how we can do it. Are you interested in finding out how we can help you now? Yes. Right. Next time you go out, do consider, identify words that can give them and open up them, open up their lenses, open up their, their, uh, their brain and their imagination to be more creative and creating the environment where it's safe, where it, they, they can go out and be creative and it's, it's not going to put them under threat. And that's important. So the long and short, you, you, you know, a long and short, you know, to, to your question is 
you've got to go out and experiment. But when we're actually using the same behaviours and not, we're still getting the same result, it's a sign of madness. So we're going to be more receptive of what's happening in front of us as opposed to just providing information and content and going through the process of running a session as opposed to coaching session, coaching players that are within the session. That's the yeah. most important thing. So do you coach yeah. sessions or do you coach players? Yeah. No, I love that. David, on, on the back of that then, one of the things mm-hmm. that comes up is around in your book is about catching players in. Um, one of the things I have spoke about when I'm talking to other coaches and I'll try to praise intention over outcome. And you spoke a little bit about it earlier, but mm-hmm. obviously you said this will help build confidence and belief and, and that language to do that is really important. So mm-hmm. how important is us as a coach recognising not being outcome focused? How important is that? And you got any examples of, of really positive way or, or strong moments where that's been really powerful in, in your coaching, um, that whole sort of intention over outcome, especially with young players. I find that that's really, really important, isn't it? hundred percent. And I think you've touched on it early with top level athletes, effort is expected. So Premier League athletes, if you're not giving effort, you're not playing. And it's expected that the effort is given. Now, if we're working with a Premier League athlete and I keep telling him that he's working hard, well, he should be working hard. What we what we need to do is at that point, you're praising what they do well um, and, and helping and correcting things that, that can be improved. But with younger kids, and it's been proven, it's, it's been proven over um, scientific research that if we constantly tell a child they're good at something, so for you, let, let's take an example. If I, you're playing, you're one of my players, and I keep telling you, great pass, Lee. Lee, you're so good. You're such a good passer. Lee, this what a def- great. This pass. is definitely a fictitious example. I can tell you that. Do you want me to change it to heading? <laughs> Sub, you're a really good sub. <laughs> well, if if you were a good passer, Lee, I will change it. When you become a good passer, this is what we'll do. Um, yeah. But if I keep saying you're a great Lee, great pass. Lee, what a good passer you are. And every time you do something well, I'm telling you how good you are at passing. You then become attuned to, oh, I'm good at passing and uh, I've already got the, I've got the key here, I'm good. Well, when you give the ball away, because you will, and every player does, and I don't say anything, there's a, there's a possibility then that you go, well, am I not good anymore? Does that mean that because I'm giving the ball away now, I'm no good at passing? And it, it creates, so through the scientific research, there's the Carol Dweck of growth mindset, fixed mindset. And the, the research that was done was with children in particular, rather than, rather than praising them consistently for being smart or being good at something, you praise the effort. So, Lee, you've worked unbelievably hard today. Lee, great work. I saw the way you were, I don't know if you, if you did when you were playing, but I'm making it up. I saw the way you ran up and down that line today and I loved how hard you worked. And that if we get straight to it, the thing is in life, you get what you work. Generally you get what you work for. And the idea is that with children, 
we instill in them that with the work that they do, it enables more results. And it's not to say that just because you've worked hard today, you're going to have a good game. But I'll recognise that you've worked hard. So I will... Look, if someone scores a great goal, if, if someone scores a screamer, I'll give him a thumbs up and I'll clap and I'll, I'll probably run along the sideline and make a big deal out of it for them because it's important for them. And I want to recognise what they've done. But there might be something that that's preceded that where a kid's ran 50 yards and he's worked unbelievably hard. He's got the ball back. He's played a pass through and then this kid's gone and scored. Well, I'll, re- I'll recognise the kid that's worked hard too. I love, I, I saw what you did. I've just saw the, the hard work that you've put in and, and how you work to get that ball back. I love it. That's what I like to see. And in everything, in everything I do with the sessions, to the players, it's the minimum expectation is that they work, that they work hard. Um, now, I think we've also got to be aware and attuned to a player might have arrived and he might have had, I had it a, a couple of months ago where a, a player's come to, to the session and he's, he was dawdling through it. I mean, he, it, it was like, he was like a tortoise. I've never seen anybody move so slow and I'm drilling him. Come on, get moving. Come on. I'm expecting, I need you to work harder. And, Halfway through the session, oh, this isn't working. It's not going anywhere here. So after the session, I pulled his mum in and had a chat with him and his mum. And it turns out that in school that day, he'd had gym session, he'd had football session, and he'd had another another physical education session. So he'd done about five hours of, of, of physical work that day. And then he's come to training, he's dragging his shoes along the floor and I'm hammering the kid because he's not working out. <laughs> and really, you're not going to know. It's not, that, it's not that they walk through the door and I go, oof, he's had a bad day because we don't know. And that was for me to obviously find out afterwards. But when it comes to effort, I do expect it. I expect it, but I encourage it. And I encourage effort with younger kids more than I encourage a good passer, a good tackle or a good shot, or a, a good save from the keeper. I do take note of it, and I make sure that they know that, look, if you've done something well, I'll, I'll let you know, but it's more so about how you got there. So what did yeah. you, what steps did you take to get that pass off? Again, it's, it's kind of that process over content again, but effort is, is massive, especially in younger kids. The, 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 the other one, uh, Lee, is we, do we praise, if we're going to praise the effort, do we praise the effort of somebody that's directly in front of us so that they're in possession? Do we, or do we watch or pay more attention than I would, you know, paying attention to what's away from the ball? So it could be, for example, you know, one, the fullback's got the ball and you've just seen one of your forwards make a run. But we're actually... We praise the effort of the defender for getting the ball back. We eff- we praise that part, but do we pay attention to things that are happening off the ball? And you go, Lee, and you're, you're the player that's make, been making the run. And it might be just running up down the touchline here, but if, if we actually praise what you've done and you look over and you go, well, I, I didn't get the ball. Well, exactly. Mm. 
but I'm actually encouraging you to continue to do that something similar. That's all. You know, when you focus on specific things, and we find it, and that and that's important. Yeah, so, that's one of the things I was gonna gonna bring up. I I found that really refreshing because something I've been trying to to do more of, and have spoke to people in the past who I've I've coached with around recognizing intent even when the outcome is not successful as such so Mm -hmm. like you said it might be a player receives on the half turn in that number 10 pocket tries to play a front foot threaded pass and it doesn't quite come off but rather than being disappointed it didn't work but recognizing saying a lot really love the way you recognize that space and try to slide that through pass even though because you want, like you said there, Keith, you want the players to keep making the runs if it's the right thing to do. You want them to keep trying to play positive football, even whereas naturally as a child, they might go, that didn't work. I'm, I'm going to be a bit vulnerable if I try it again, so I won't bother. So I guess Good. our role, like you said, catching them in, even if they didn't quite have the execution or the outcome that we wanted, it's just trying to encourage them to keep doing it because with our help, they'll they'll get there and... I think you're spot on. You're absolutely spot on. Uh, I'm mindful of you know the, the words you're using, and I'm equally mindful to you know we can give you a response. Yeah, it may not be the pro- it may not be the only one. It certainly isn't the only response. It's a response. But what we have is it could be down. You know the decision's right, and you just alluded to it. The execution not quite right, and that might be because they're physically not strong enough yet. You know, we we've got we've got like all academies, you've got some good players at the place, and you know we got the ones that are you know late bloomers, we got the ones who are the now players, and we got the ones who are grey. What we've got to consider with all players across all spectrums, grassroots, academy, semi-pro, pro levels, is do players make error for? Are they doing it genuinely? Are they doing it because it's we we're actually not providing them. We're, we're not. They've not got that provision yet of information that can help them become better. So when we if they've not done it right, who's it down to? It might be down to us, but we're still going to encourage them positively, constructively, and feed them and fuel them with something that is is going to help them become better. And that's mm. important because the master locksmiths of the moment uh, they might they might lose that master locksmith title because. We're not encouraging them to continue trying to look for that little ball, that ball through into a little pocket. They might not have the the, the ability, the physical. Uh, uh, constri- they might have physical constraints and and strength constraints to be able to get the ball from A to B. But we're still going to encourage it. And Lee, with that, you touched on it earlier on that coaches don't go out to negatively impact players. <laughs> But that these are those situations where it can. And I think we want players to be creative and we want them to be curious around what it is they do, not just in football, but in in school and in everything else. You do be curious about things. So ask questions, try things out. If it doesn't work, have another go because you're not just because it didn't work the first time is not to say that it's not going to work the second, third, fourth. And you think of of uh, let's. Take Messi, for example. Uh, well, actually, that's probably not a good example because I think he might have been a wizard when he... As soon as he, he, he popped out, he might have been a wizard. Um, Picasso, he's a painter. He didn't pick up the paintbrush and the first time he painted it, create a masterpiece. 
and neither should we. We shouldn't expect the players to do the same. And I think with with coaches, I've seen it, and I think we need to be very mindful of it. That you, you mentioned when a, if a player gives the ball away and we scream and shout at them, they're likely not going to want to do it again. And even though the intent of the coach isn't to negatively impact the experience, they don't even know they've just done that. So kids tried to receive it on the half turn and play a lovely little ball through and it's not worked out and I'm screaming and shouting on the sideline thinking it's the right thing to do. And that kid's now frightened to death of doing it again. And he, we've actually we've actually now limited and, and provided a negative experience, which is the furthest thing from what the coach probably wanted to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Gents, I'm, I'm really conscious of time, so I'm going to start to, to wrap up. One more question on this. I know we could talk all day, so... Um, appreciate that. If if coaches could power up on one thing immediately to be more effective, whether that's taking a magic pill or or putting in some <laughs> some extra extra time during lockdown, what would you recommend that be? I mentioned earlier about Alvin Toffley. You know, the illiterate of the 21st century, unlearning, relearning. Uh, Curiosity, become more curious. Very mm-hmm. simple. I, I think the the era of curiosity it just opens up so many so many avenues of 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 what if and potential. And it, it it's not a cop out, by the way. It's it's a great question you posed, and I I do feel is what it's done for myself is have it be more curious around. How I operate, how I coach, how I treat people, uh, how I how I actually look after myself, all's dealt through that one word, curiosity. But it is, it literally is that the illiterate of the twenty first century. Because I'm a very slow learner, and 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 reading and writing was a major challenge for me when I first left school. But we've got to we've got to learn. We, you know, for those that cannot learn, we've got to unlearn and then relearn. And do it quickly because the game, when I say the game is changing, it still has a target. It has goals. It has players. It's about results. It's about, at the highest level, getting points. But what we've got to do is, that, so that the game hasn't changed with that. What we've got to do is adjust to how our kids now learn, how they're actually, they're very different to when I first started coaching. You know, they're asking more questions now. You know, you get a nine-year-old, why are we doing this? Why? It's, I, either I got to adjust, and it, but I've got to be curious around that because if I don't, or if I didn't, then I'd be still autocratic. I'm telling you, this is how it is. Do as I tell you, I'd lose it. So be curious about kids. Be curious about mm. learning. Be curious to want to become the best coach you can be. Love that answer. Is yours the same, David, or slightly different? It, it is. I, I would echo that and and two other things for me is having an ability to communicate effectively um we i touched on it earlier you can have all the knowledge in the world but if you if you can't connect but also project a message effectively it doesn't matter how much you know so you have to be able to project your information out in a way that brings people in where they want to listen to you and they want to be around you and then i also think finding mentors, having mentors in your life that can help steer and and guide you to become an even better at what you do. 
and also and also buying the book Goldust, how to become a more effective coach quickly. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, before we go on to our quick five questions, what what this might link into it, David? What is next for you two as uh, collectively or individually? Anything mm-hmm. you're working on in in together or or any yeah. goals you've set well, yourself for coaching? We, yeah. You know, Lee, I, I tended to be very, I want to know where I'm going because if I don't know where I'm going, I'll not know when I land. So I've got to have a purpose. And the book, didn't know where it was going to go. We've got podcasts now, which we started all through or off the back of the success of the book. We've got another book as well. Uh, not yet, but it's coming out. Uh, it'll be uh, it'll be more specific, technical. It's, more, it's going to be more, uh, a, a fo- it's going to be a football technical book. And then, uh, you know, we speak to each other every single day. So the, the exciting thing is what this is taking is on a, on a spiral and a kaleidoscope of events that really doesn't have any outcome other than we're enjoying it. It's exciting. We'd never have been doing this. You know, the book's been out six months. The book in its inception came out just over 12 months ago. God knows what it's going to be like this next 12 months. So we're really excited about it because we can either – Get tangled in with all the problems of what's happening around the world, and and let's not let's. It's unprecedented times, it is, but we're excited. We, you know, I'm excited for David. I mean, I'm you know, I'm very excited for what's around the corner for him, because he's going to be the uh, you know, from the mayor's perspective, he's he's the uh, he's the next generation. So I'm excited for that next generation and his generation. Oh, brilliant. How do you live up to that pressure, David? Wow. <laughs> no. no pressure. <laughs> no. Brilliant. Where where can people find the book, gents? What's the best way to get it? So the the book is it'll be on Amazon. So if you if you go in on Amazon, that's the best place to buy it. It is available on other platforms, but that's the, the best, the easiest, the quickest way. Um, and then with us, we're both my my dad mentioned we've we started a podcast four weeks ago now, so that's been quite exciting. Never, never in a million years, twelve months ago, would have thought we'd have had a, a best-selling book. Um, the book was obviously on its route, but that's all it was, and never thought we would have had a podcast. And that came about pretty quick, just similar to the book. The book took four months to to write. the The podcast came out within about a month, so. Um, we're on we're on Twitter. We're both on Twitter personally, and and with the podcast too. Fantastic. We'll uh, we'll be sure to to link you in so people can follow you. But just I got a clue. <laughs> so uh, let's get a couple of quick fire questions. Um, put these to both of you. Who, in your opinion, is the best Premier League manager of all time? Sir Alex. I, I, I mean, yeah. you've got Guardiola and Klopp. I think they're both geniuses, and they're well on on the route to being in those um, to be in that, uh, I guess, category with Sir Alex Mourinho's. He, he's been up there too, but I think for what he did over such a long period of time, it has to, uh, for me, Sir Alex. Yeah, I like that, Keith. Yeah, we got Pep Guardiola with 27 trophies. We got Sir Halleck with 48. I think if you go off trophies and winning, highest level, that's what it's about. I've got to go Alex Ferguson. Yeah, yes. 
as an Arsenal fan here, it's it, 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 I'd love to say Wenger, but it's hard to it's hard to look past Sir Alex, isn't it? After what he's done, um, sticking you with me both, Lee. Yeah, you and me both. Yeah. Sticking with that theme, then, who, in your opinion, is the best Premier League player of all time? Oh. As idolising him growing up, I've got to go to Thierry Henry. That, that's a tough one. I, I, I'm going to. I thought you were going to say me then. <laughs> Obviously, wouldn't. I'm, I'm going to say, I want to go Canton and I'm going to say Paul Skulls. Paul Skulls. What was it about him, Keith? Why have you gone with Skulls? Paul Skulls. Well, we, we interviewed uh, Luke Chadwick just over 12 months. Hello. Hello yeah, got you. yeah, still there, mate. Go on, Paul Scholes. You got me back, have you? Paul Scholes, from what we understand, had everything. I know people that played alongside him and listening to his coaches that were with him at United at the time. Never, ever, from what they tell us, never were, he never was in the middle in a rondo. Didn't get ball. That's probably why he couldn't tackle because he, uh, he didn't practice it, but <laughs> he was just phenomenal. Unsung hero. Oh, brilliant. Okay, last one. Um, start with you, David. What is your all-time England eleven? Well, I'm limited on on uh, what I've seen. I've got 28 years to go off here. So, seeming in goal, I'm gonna go John Terry and Rio Ferdinand. At centre backs, Gary Neville right back, Ashley Cole at left back, and for me, uh, Ashley Cole. I was a left back when I played. Ashley Cole is probably the best fullback England's ever had. I think he's he's up there in the category with Yamaldini's. I think he's one of the best left backs of all time. Uh, now midfield, this is where it gets tricky. <laughs> um, oh, wow. I'll tell you what, what I'm going to do, Gerard, for me, Gerard, Lampard and Scholes have all got to go in there for, for what they've done. I know we can say they didn't perform. In fact, not what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm going to have to. I was going to say Glenn Oddle, but I didn't watch him play enough to, to make that. <laughs> we'll go We'll go a, a midfield three. How long we got, Lee? I nearly went asleep. <laughs> so it will go Gerard Lampard skulls midfield three and I'm going to go don't know how I'm going to work it out with the front three Owen when he was before he had his injuries was I thought it was absolutely unbelievable uh, Wayne Rooney's got to be in there for me as well and oh I guess off of recent the recent years, Harry Kane. Don't ask me how I'm going to fit those front three in. We've not got enough time to figure that out. Um, and I've missed some good players off that list too. Yeah, uh, listen, that's that's your team. You're in charge. You can you can pick it as you want. I'm not not sure if you can still hear us, Keith. If you're there, do you want to give us a quick run through of your all-time England eleven? I can. Can you hear me, Lee? Yeah, got you, mate. Yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Gordon Banks in goal, 
1970 World Cup serve against Pele. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go Neville right back. I'm going to Rio Ferdinand Terry, and I'm going to go definitely Ashley Cole uh, for his endeavour playing against Ronaldo in the 2004 Euros. Midfield. Uh, I'm going to go back and down the right. Skulls, Gerrard and Barnes. I might play a 4-4-2. I'm not sure yet. And then I'm going to have Shearer, leading Premier League goal scorer, and I'm going to have Lineker playing at the side of him, or just, oh, yeah. just probably behind him. <laughs> it, I'm going to have, by the way, I've got I've got Rooney on the subs bench, Robson, Shilton, and I might just squeeze Lampard if he's fit. I thought, no, not, uh, yeah. Not I've missed out some David, names. David, here. David's having some regrets now, but we're, yeah. uh, hey, listen, it's. Uh, it's all opinions, isn't it? So, uh, so don't beat yourself up, David. <laughs> Listen, gentlemen, I've I've taken up way too much of your time, so I just want to thank you uh, for your time and for your insights. It's uh, it's been just over an hour. Time's flown by. So uh, again, I can't thank you enough. Uh, good luck with whatever's next for you, whether it's back on the grass or, like you said, the the next publication to come out. I wish you the best of luck. Um, and again, I'll uh, I'll make sure we link all of the 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 places that people can find you and, and get the books in in the notes for the the episode. Thank really. you, Lee. Thanks, Great guys. Stuff. Thanks, guys. So thanks for listening. I trust you enjoyed that and took a lot away from it. I know I did. So big thank you again to to Keith and David. Make sure you go on Amazon, search for their book. Uh, all the links will be on the uh, podcast show notes or on Twitter and, and wherever you follow the show. So again, thank you. Hope you're staying well. Please go and check out some of the other episodes if you've got some time on your hands. This was number 11, I believe. So plenty more out there. Um, but we really do appreciate your your support. Again, as I said at the start, hope everyone is safe and well. And we'll speak to you again soon. If you are a scout or coach looking to find or help players, then Pitch is the website for you. It's a startup, but the idea is to complement the scout's role in finding talent, especially in lower leagues. Pitch is likely to arrange trial days in the future, so a scout might be very interested to make a profile. For a coach, it's about the onward development and mental health of released players, helping them find a team or club and provide a talent ID and development reference on Pitch. So make a profile today at www.pitchrmt.com. Thank you.